people who are struggling with trauma need support. They need people and primarily people to listen, to not try to fix it. Mm. I think that's the biggest mistake Christians make yes, is, I agree. you know, is they try, try to fix it because we feel badly. Yeah. And because we know that God does heal, that the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is, you know, is the great comforter and that God does heal. We want healing for people, but mm -hmm. sometimes we do harm by trying to short circuit the process by trying to, you know, scripture is powerful, uh, um, but scripture can be misused. It can be yes, used, yes. you know, like a bandaid. Welcome to the Agora Network Ministries podcast, Hope for the Agora, a conversation about mental health and the church. Listen in as our host, Evan Roars Dodge, shares practical, educational, and insightful information about the mental health conversation and the stigma inside the walls of the church. Our hope is that through informative interviews with leading mental health professionals and people in the field, and through the stories of healing and transformation, you will find that hope and healing can be found in body, soul, and spirit. To learn more, go to agoranetworkministries.com and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us. Well, welcome to another episode of Hope for the Agora. I'm so glad you're tuning in and listening to this conversation. I'm Dr. Evan Dodge. I'm the host of the podcast and really thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Heather Dave Duke Gingrich. Heather, it's great to see you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, Heather, would you introduce yourself to our listeners, share a little bit about who you are uh, and your perhaps a bit about your personal and your, uh, your professional life? Sure. Well, I'm I'm Canadian, as is my husband. Uh, we grew um, grew up in Canada with some brief stints overseas. My husband is an MK and a and a PK. Uh, we spent uh, eight years in the Philippines um, as a as a family, and then we're recruited to teach at Denver Seminary uh, here in Colorado. So we've actually been here for 17 years. I'm moving to Georgia to teach at Tacoa Falls College in Northeast Georgia in just a couple of weeks. Uh, my specialty is uh, trauma, especially um, complex trauma, which we'll talk more, more about. Mm -hmm. I've been doing work in the counseling field for almost four decades. Uh, I was the youngest in my graduating class with my MA. Uh -huh. That makes me sound old, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh. so I so my full time job is as a as a professor, uh, but I do still did you know clinical work full time for a couple of decades, and still have a very tiny private practice. Um, but I can't take anyone new on. It's my main job is um, is teaching. Um, oh, I did mention to you, Evan, that in my new job at Tacoa Falls College in January is beginning a 15 credit five course graduate trauma therapy certificate. And someone does not have to be a therapist to, to take the certificate. You have to have a bachelor's degree and an interest in counseling, but the assumption isn't necessarily that someone will already be a counselor. Although um, it's also intended to, 
um, give professional counselors additional skills in in mm. trauma. Oh, thank you. That's that sounds great. I um, it, it it seems especially uh, Heather, given everything that's been going on in our country and our world the last two or three years, this seems so pertinent. Uh, and so well, that's why we're on. doing it. I, I'm very excited about it. I think that lots of people want to be helpful mm. to others, whether that's in a lay capacity or you know in a professional helper uh, capacity. And there's just so much trauma yeah. out there. Yeah. I think one of the things that we'll touch on in our conversation as we unpack trauma, PTSD, complex PTSD is, uh, Heather, what, what I've sensed, even here in my little congregation in northwestern New Jersey, there seems to be this collective trauma that's just kind of settled over people um, as a result of the events of the last few years of political upheaval, racial unrest, uh, uh, you know, a pandemic. Uh, war, you know, um, that's right. affecting the economy and so many things worldwide. There seems to be this sense of uh, of collective trauma, um, and and I, I see that I see that pop up here and there in you know certain types of behavior, um, in 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 ways that individuals sort of react and lead out of uh, certain senses of fear. So. Um, I really uh, it will, uh, be praying for this new uh, this new program, and uh, sounds really really beneficial. Thanks. So let's talk about. Um, I, I I will just let our listeners know. I I want to thank IVP for this review copy of uh, the second edition, an updated edition of your book, "Restoring the Shattered Self: A Christian Counselor's Guide to Complex Trauma," and um, I wanted. We'll talk a bit about the book, and of course, in our show notes, we'll include places where uh, listeners can purchase that book. Let's define some terms by way of beginning this conversation. Uh, What's trauma? What is PTSD? And what is complex PTSD? Yeah, those are good questions. I think the most important thing to remember about trauma is that no particular event is traumatic for every person that experiences it. Mm. Um, so it's it's subjective in nature. What's traumatic to one person isn't isn't to another or not to the same extent, no matter what it is. So the kinds of things you have mentioned that that in the past few years have been traumatizing for some um, other. Everyone has been impacted, obviously, by all of those things. But for many, it would not be a, a trauma response. So that. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. What makes it tra- traumatic is that there is, you know, event that has hap- that has happened, and then the um, kind of diagnostic categories for what PTSD is involves things like um, intrusive intrusive symptoms or re-experiencing symptoms such as flashbacks and nightmares. That's often what we mm-hmm. what we um, think about or uh, avoidance symptoms where someone is trying to avoid getting triggered. So may avoid things that are uncomfortable or that they're afraid will, will bring up bad memories or, or whatever. And then um, hyperarousal or, you know, kind of changes in arousal level. That's what we often see like on movies where uh, a war vet hears a car backfire and jumps behind a dumpster mm-hmm. and pulls out his gun Right. Or her gun, you know, um, that that kind of nervous system that's just on edge all the time. And some of the newer criteria are, are, are changes in in mood, 
for example. So someone being severely depressed or anxious who, who wasn't um, mm. prior to that. Now, uh, you know, and then there can be, there's a, a, a subtype of PTSD called a dissociative subtype where there are a couple of other, other things too that people can experience a sense of disconnection from themselves or the world around them or people around them being strange and unfamiliar that can also be part of of a PTSD with a dissociative subtype so that's um you know post-traumatic symptoms involve all of those things to have a PTSD diagnosis means you have to have a certain number and you know check off certain things but People don't necessarily have to have PTSD to still have some of those symptoms and be distressed by them. Mm. Complex PTSD is kind of PTSD on steroids in a sense. Um, To develop PTSD, it can be a single incident. You know, there could be a natural disaster. Um, It could be uh, a particular event in, in, you know, combat. Uh, It could be, uh, a severe illness or, you know, losing a child suddenly, uh, you know, in an accident or death that feels traumatic, but one incident is, is enough to develop PTSD. Complex PT, PTSD is the result of chronic um, trauma. You, uh, often that happens in child abuse, often over years. So uh, in childhood, so we're talking about often child abuse, um, but it isn't just child abuse. Um, adults can develop complex trauma, say, in abusive relationships. Complex trauma tends to be relational in okay. nature. So if, if you think about some of the differences, if a child is being traumatized on a regular basis over years as they're growing up, it impacts their whole development. It impacts everything, uh, sometimes physically, socially, relationally, um, just in terms of emotionally, so, so many things get, get impacted. It isn't just the post-traumatic symptoms. Um, it, and so that's the, the, the biggest difference. And being relational in nature, often that trauma comes at the hand of someone who's trusted, mm. you know, uh, a parent, a step-parent, an extended family member, aunt, uncle, grandparent, a pastor, a youth pastor, a camp leader. Um, unfortunately, the rates of child abuse as as is coming out within the church are the same as in the secular world. And that should not be, you know, it's appalling, but, but it is the reality. And so, you know, or, or a trusted coach or a school teacher. So, so even the type of trauma um, makes a difference in terms of the impact. So treatment healing is different for Mm -hmm. the two. Um, Healing from complex trauma is going to generally be long-term, involve a lot more um, types of interventions. Um, PTSD, it depends. That can be longer term. It depends on, on, on symptoms there too, but it can be relatively short term with some cognitive behavioral kinds of treatments that are, that are pretty standard. Complex PTSD is more complicated, even in terms of healing. Mm. Oh, thank you. Uh, thinking about uh, one's one's response um, to PTSD, I'm thinking of uh, you know in your in your work, and I know some of the updated content. I'm thinking of you know popular books right now like The Body Keeps Score. Um, that there there are f- these physical manifestations 
um, that that can occur. What what are what are some of those? Uh, what what are signs to look for? Um, perhaps that someone is uh, experiencing PTSD or complex PTSD. Um, you, you know, for for those who are listening, perhaps in a helping profession, what are some best practices? Some things to look for, even if maybe they're not trained in that, but but want to um, want to be a, a helper. What are what are some things to look for? And what are some perhaps best ways to respond and some ways not to respond? Well, that's a number of questions there, Evan, but yes, I'll, it is. I'll, I'll, I'll start with one of them. <laughs> uh, well, some of the things I talked about in terms of post-traumatic symptoms, of course, mm-hmm. if someone starts talking about nightmares or they're startling um, easily, right. then, it, you know, those are, are, or talk about nightmares or something. Mm-hmm. Those are some more obvious um, symptoms of, of PTSD. But dissociative symptoms can also really be um, helpful. So dissociation is a disconnection between different aspects of self and experience. That's kind of the simple kind of compartmentalization. And so if someone is, is, so it's very common, especially for someone with complex trauma, but also with PTSD to not even necessarily remember all the details of their trauma or even remember that they've been traumatized, kind of blocking that out. And so that's that's dissociation and amnesia is, is one aspect of, of dissociation. So if someone talks about how, gosh, you know, I, I don't really have many memories at all between the ages of eight and 12. Well, that's pretty unusual. Mm. You know, most of us don't have much memory, you know, in, in early childhood, but um, and I certainly couldn't tell you dozens and dozens of things that happened, you know, when I was nine years old. But sure. I, but I have lots of things that I could share with you about teachers and school and different things that were going on. So uh, memory blocks is one big indicator, especially of mm. of, of maybe complex trauma. Mm. Uh, also, kind of um, if someone's talking about something that should be painful. And it's as though they're talking about the weather, that they just kind of have a blank face, what we call flat affect. That can be a sign that they're really disconnected uh, from their emotions, from their experience. And that, that's also another um, sign of dissociation. And uh, often people dissociate to protect themselves. You know, they, they try to put the, either the memory away or even if they can't totally forget, then they'll separate themselves from the emotion, try to pretend it doesn't affect them. Okay. Um, but of course it does, you know, these symptoms leak out. So often people end up abusing substances as a way to, to numb out. So that's another thing is to look at if someone's struggling with addiction, what's behind that addiction? If they're struggling with an eating disorder, not everyone who has an eating disorder or an addiction has had a trauma background, but research is increasingly showing that many, many do. But even treatment programs don't always even acknowledge the trauma. Some are beginning to, Mm. but some don't. But that is something to, that I'd say to look at is, oh, this person seems to be struggling in some of these areas. Is there any possibility that there's a a trauma route to this? Mm. Okay, great. And, and um, so I'm thinking particularly with our listeners, you know, Christians, people of faith, folks involved in a local church, and it may not have the tr- like the sort of training that that you've had. They're not therapists sure. or trained mental health professionals. Um, what are some ways that perhaps a layperson in a church 
uh, who is in a Bible study with somebody, and they're exhibiting things that you have just mentioned. How can that person be, uh, you know, a Christian companion, uh, love that person, help that person, um, if they're if they're evidencing some of those things that you've that you've discussed? That's a great question. Um, people who are struggling with trauma need support. They need people and primarily people to listen, to not try to fix it. Mm. I think that's the biggest mistake Christians make yes, is, I agree. you know, is they try, try to fix it because we feel badly. Yeah. And because we know that God does heal, that the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is, you know, is the great comforter and that God does heal. We want healing for people, but mm-hmm. sometimes we do harm by trying to short circuit the process by trying to, you know, scripture is powerful, um, um, but scripture can be misused. It can be yes, used, yes. you know, like a band aid. you know, kind of think of someone who is hemorrhaging, you know, they have a deep wound and someone offers them a little tiny band aid to put on top of that, not recognizing that they are bleeding out. Well, that's what we sometimes do. If we just um, throw out a scripture verse or or tell someone this this is horrendous, but it happens. If you just have a little bit more faith, you know, God will. I'm sure God will answer your prayer. Yeah. Or let me just pray with you. And um, now I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray with people, but I think we need to give people permission to tell us what they need from us, and to also recognize that even if someone acknowledges um, having a relationship with Christ, that relationship may be on the rocks at the moment. You know, that um, especially if something like abuse memories have just started to come up, they may be, God, why didn't you, why didn't you protect me? Why? I was just a little boy. How did you let these people, this person hurt me so much? I was praying to you for protection and and I was still abused. Those are very real questions. Yeah. And, and they're not questions that when someone is answering them right that right away, they, they want a theological answer. It, it's yes. a heart. It's a heart cry. And the best response is, I am so sorry you went through that. Um, mm. What I do know is that God loves you, but I get that you're angry. And, and, I, and, I, and I get that you're not feeling loved. Yeah, right now, yeah. how, how can I be here for you? Because what I've found is that if we can be there without any agenda, that we don't have to fix the person, that it may be years and we may not see a whole lot of progress. You know, that's the other thing that we as Christians do. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll give you some time. I'll give you a year, but oh my goodness, at the end of that year, if you're not better, something's wrong. I'm out of yeah. here. Yeah. I yeah, so we also have to be careful what we promise to people. You know, don't promise we'll be here with you till the end of your journey. That might be 20, 30, 40 years. Right. You know, right. but so so be careful what you promise and say, well, you know, at this, I'm willing to be here for you right now. Um, and, you know, I can't promise you I will never move. <laughs> or, you know, even with my clients, I have to say I have no plans on leaving Colorado, but you know, this move to Georgia came up kind of unexpectedly. I'm glad I did not promise my clients that I would be here until I retired because that's not the way it's actually ending up. Mm, So, mm -hmm. so being, um, being available, but setting appropriate boundaries 
people can handle boundaries if they know what they are, but I, I think helpers, especially lay helpers, um, really want to be there for someone. So they try to be there 24 seven and then they burn out and then they end up having to abandon the person, yeah. you know, because they're dying themselves much better to say, you know, I'm willing to, to be there for crisis phone calls, but after seven o'clock at night, I have to put my kids to bed. Um, then I go to bed, you know, early and, um, you know, I, I can't manage, mm. um, phone calls in the middle of the night. So here are some crisis hotline numbers. And then um, I'd be available, you know, at nine o'clock the next morning or, or go to this hospital, you know, things like that. People don't like boundaries, but ultimately even someone who's really hurting appreciates them because they too are afraid that maybe you're offering too much. What if you can't really do this? So I think that's really important kind of know, be there. Don't try to fix it listen, mm-hmm. um, kind of be supportive, but ask. Sometimes people don't need to talk to you. Maybe maybe you're not someone who's really a good listener or you can't, you know, handle hearing about trauma details. That's okay, but be a friend. Invite someone over for family meal. Go to coffee with them. Do, do fun things together. Um, just be a part of their lives. That can be Yes. That's really necessary too. People need friends and often people are, are scared away by someone who's needy. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of, of boundaries and sometimes the way I'll frame it for folks is expectations. It's, it's, it's all about clarity yeah. and, and that can be, that can be really empowering, especially f- I think for some folks who've experienced trauma. Um, because if they know exactly what's expected of them and what the other person can give, um, that clarity alone, you know, in my experience as a pastor in pastoral care situations, that can be really empowering. A person feels like they have, they have information around which they can, they can, they can craft a renewed sense of their self. Yes, Um, definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's very helpful. Um, uh, uh, Heather, as you shared a lot of that, I'm just reminded of the example that you offer at the very beginning of your book of, you know, three women who were praying with someone who was, had experienced trauma and ended up, I, th- I think, re-traumatizing her oh, yes. um, significantly and, and really doing it not, not in a malicious way. I mean, really believing that they were offering a sense of spiritual guidance and, and uh, the healing that she needed, but it actually did sounds like significant damage. Um, oh, to a lot her. of damage. Yeah. And so, so that's real. I, and, I, and I think that, that you and I would want our, our listeners to know that, that, that well-meaning Christians can do it, it can do damage it's really important um to to know some good practices and i love what you offered just some practical ways to be a helper and a companion you know where i think sometimes get people get confused and i i imagine you your listenership is comes from broad denominational backgrounds so this mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily be a difficulty in some churches but in some other churches um when scary things kind of come up with someone, they kind of assume that demons are involved Mm. and um, there can be a lot of damage done through deliverance prayer. If someone doesn't really understand what's going, what's going on. And I think my caution would be, I think the best advice I ever got 
um, was actually from a Baptist pastor in Canada. I'd never heard of another Baptist church that had a deliverance ministry, mm. but this was a very unusual church. And what he said is, you know, even if there is the presence of the demonic, it doesn't mean it has to be dealt with right away. Right. Right. You know, right, if th- those right. demons, if they're there, they've probably been there and influencing this person maybe for decades, you know, another few weeks, months or years isn't really going to, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And that really freed me up um, and, and allowed me as a budding therapist to to really be looking to at is this something spiritual? Is this something um you know, emotional, psychological, and especially in cases of extreme abuse. And we won't talk about this for long, but I, one of my subspecialties is working with multiple personalities, people with dissociative identity disorder. Mm. And those personalities can be mistaken in many church circles for demons, and they're not. They are parts of self that have been kind of um, separated out to deal with trauma. Um, anyone who has multiple personalities has been severely abused before the age of six. So it's a trauma, you know, it's a trauma response. And it's not as rare as people might think. Um, One to 2% of the general population actually meets criteria for dissociative identity disorder. So Evan, you probably have people in your church congregation that are Mm -hmm. high functioning that, that you might never, might never know about. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah. just just a you know that's a bit of an aside, but I think that's where a lot of damage can be done when when people become helpers become really confused as to what they're seeing or hearing. Yes, and, right. Well, thank you, Heather. Uh, I'll, we're going to take a short break, and I'll be right back with my guest, Heather Dave Duke Gingrich. Agora Network Ministries is once again hosting the Perseverance Conference moving towards greater mental wellness. Join us September 10th, beginning at noon Eastern. The Perseverance Conference brings together mental health experts, doctors, and advocates to have honest discussions on best practices to improve mental health in an interactive live stream experience. It's an opportunity to engage with the speakers and ask for the advice you need. This year's speakers include Elizabeth Manley, Olympic medalist, author, actor, coach, and an active mental health advocate, as well as Corey Hirsch, NHL goaltender, NHL coach, Olympic silver medalist, and mental health advocate. And we're really excited, too, to have Dr. Caroline Leaf with us, who is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with numerous books to her name, like Cleaning Up Your Mental Wellness and the very popular Switch On Your Brain. And of course, Mike Sherboneau will be our host and moderator. Be sure to join us September 10, noon Eastern time. Go to perseveranceconference.ca and register today and find out more information. And now, back to our podcast. I'm back with my guest, uh, Heather Dave Duke Gingrich. We're talking about themes of trauma, PTSD, complex PTSD. And we're going to move our discussion now to some best practices for the church, for ministry leaders, pastors, church leadership, perhaps a, a prayer ministry team within the local church. Heather, we've already talked a little bit about some things to stay away from and some things to do. Those uh, theological answers, 
uh, uh, you know, have more faith, pray harder, read your scripture more. It can really, uh, although often offered with good intention, can be quite harming uh, to those who have been traumatized. Um, within the life of the church, what are some ways that uh, maybe a, a church can embrace folks who've been traumatized and not stigmatize them or re-traumatize them, but within the life of the church and its established ministries, what might you offer as some best practices? Well, certainly um, offering educational opportunities. So pastors have opportunities to, um, in their sermons, to preach about Mm. topics, you know, like domestic violence, like child abuse, um, like uh, just just trauma. I think just hearing people in the congregation hearing um, from up front that this is that these are not taboo subjects mm-hmm. um, in itself can be very freeing, and it can start to feel like okay, maybe I maybe this church is a safe place. They're not afraid to acknowledge the existence, you know, of these kinds of things. So so for pastors, yeah, preach on on some of these topics or 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 insert them in the middle of, of, of other things, just so that it's, it's kind of out there. Then having, of of course, any pastoral staff, lay leaders, um, maybe specific trainings on trauma, you know, what is trauma, what are trauma symptoms, just, just knowledge about that can be helpful so that they can, anyone that's kind of in a leadership role, especially can be aware of some of the signs and and symptoms. So that all falls under the education in terms of, and and then um, opportunities to educate, you know, lay lay people too, which can be done through, you know, seminars or, um, or, or whatever. But then um, certainly there can be um, special ministries set up for people that are hurting. Um, Lydia, Lydia discipleship ministries, here in Colorado Springs has a whole um, curriculum for like small group. It could be a Sunday school class. It could be a small group for people who maybe come from really difficult backgrounds. Uh, So this would be, you know, difficult childhood who who maybe, you know, have a lot of questions Mm -hmm. about God and God's love and and suffering, Uh, you know, because sometimes people who are really struggling, they don't really fit into the regular programming of the church because they're starting Mm -hmm. at a different place and they have curriculum that's already been developed. And so um, something like that could be really helpful, you know, especially if there's a church that's large enough um, to have, you know, numbers of, of people who've been from difficult backgrounds, you know, how you advertise it. You don't have to say those of you who have experienced trauma, but just say, you know, people who have maybe um, struggles in, have had difficult experiences, difficult childhoods, who are maybe struggling in their, to really understand how God God works, that that could be a class for them. Um, you know, small groups that are focused on you know things like celebrate recovery, groups that are kind of um, broader, or you can have um, specific groups for specific types of of issues. Uh, what's important there is just that the the people facilitating the groups have some supervision. I think from people that really know trauma. So they don't usually people leading these groups are not, you know, trained therapists themselves. But right. if you do have any, any people either who 
pastors who have specialized training or have, you know, therapists in your congregation that would be willing to oversee some of those ministries or kind of do some supervision that that adds a a little bit of a safety guard Mm -hmm. because sometimes conversations they can be so helpful these groups but they can also be harmful lay lay people don't know what they're they're doing and or um you know insist on everyone in the group has to do this exercise well i think a way to protect people is to allow them permission not to because someone doesn't have to share They can share if they wish they can share so much um, because often the leader doesn't understand what's being asked of a particular person if they don't know their, their whole story. And, and frankly, some of the story is not appropriate to be shared in a public setting even. And so someone being pushed to do that, it it can be damaging. So, um, so I think those groups can be helpful um, if people are, are trained and as long as they, give lots of permission to the participants in terms of how much or how they want to participate or not. If they just want to attend and listen and not say anything, not do the exercises, they should be allowed to do that. Mm. Um, Then inner healing prayer ministries. I mean, obviously that can be really helpful. What I would say is there, again, if they're too formulaic, too formulaic, and they don't really understand the person's background fully. Um, the, the worst case scenario, and I and I end up in my office seeing the results of this. Mm-hmm. You know, the bad news mm-hmm. yes, is right. when um, someone goes through an approach, gets someone to you know talk about their trauma, their ideas. They want to bring their trauma to Jesus or, or whatever, but maybe they haven't talked about that trauma. It hasn't really. Um, and what can end up happening is that the formula doesn't work. You know, the, the, the lay, often it's lay leaders, again, that, that have been trained in some kind of inner healing prayer approach. But then memories can start to flood, flood back, um, kind of be out of control, and then they don't know what to do. It's like they've opened up Pandora's box mm-hmm. with memories flooding. You know, a, a trained professional knows how to help keep that from happening. Um, so just some caution there it's it's one thing to kind of um yeah you just have to be aware of some of the dangers and and what and and get some help or have have someone again who can supervise those those teams that or can be available in case of an emergency Mm. something like that and inner healing approaches that don't uh, i love one that senyang tan uses dr tan is a psychologist as well as the pastor he's retired retired now but he's written books on several books on lay counseling um and um has written books or as part of lay counseling on inner healing prayer and what he does is invite the holy spirit to to be present and work in whatever way the holy spirit wishes Mm -hmm. rather than something like visualizing jesus because some people have been abused by people who are dressed up like jesus and then oh, rape. Yes. Yes. You know, and so for some people, visualizing Christ is not a safe thing. Mm-hmm. So so I much prefer inner healing prayer approaches that are are more open to not just kind of having one way of, of going about about something. Yeah. So and, and then lastly, just um people in the congregation, if you kind of notice that someone's closed off, just 
just befriending people, just inviting people over if, but letting them leave if they want to, um, yeah. or being part of small groups. And, you know, if someone leaves a group, someone can maybe follow them out, but, but that someone knows they have permission to do that. If they're really struggling that, that they can leave and someone, and, and that's okay. Um, that they can yes. leave a church service. They can choose not to participate in communion if for some reason that's triggering mm -hmm. and, and that that's okay, that, that there's permission to be who they are and acceptance for where they are. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up, you know, one of the things that, as you shared, that triggered in my mind when I took a course in seminary, it was on ethically responding to violence against women. Um, and this will tell you how long I went to seminary. The professor said to pastors, build your Rolodex, um, which is a, which is an, an image that may be lost on some younger viewers. But, you know, what she meant was when you move into a community, know, know the public services, no emergency mm -hmm. services, no therapists, counselors, social workers, know when to refer. Yes. And I think that's so important for churches and ministry leaders to know when to refer to outside help to outside sources. And that involves, you know, getting to know your community and partnering with other entities in the community. I'm a big believer in a holistic approach. Um, faith is so important. Prayer, scripture, uh, small groups. That's to me, that works best in conjunction with counselors, therapists, yes. medical professionals, doctors, social workers, case managers, uh, spiritual Definitely. directors, all just a holistic approach and to know your lane and to know when to refer someone to someone else with another uh, professional skill set is, is so important and can head off some of those, uh, you know, uh, re-traumatizing things that so often yeah, can occur right. in churches. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. Knowing when to refer and, and it doesn't mean that the church then isn't involved because if someone goes to a therapist, that's an hour a week. The rest that's of the right. time, that's right. You know, a person still needs needs support. And so yes. the best experiences I've had as a therapist have been when um, when I felt as though the ch the person's church and their pastors are kind of allies in the process, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. where we're kind of a team working together that I have support and. Um, but there can be some communication back and forth in certain situations, which is, is just really wonderful. I love, yeah. I, I love how you described all of those resources. Mm. Um, you know, there's one, one last thing, you know, someone who has been healed in a certain way that's found something really helpful, what differently with different people. So, so allow God to do that and don't impose your own, your own journey on someone else. Mm. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, well, that is a great word to end on. Uh, Heather, thank you so much for taking some time. I know you're busy getting ready to move and yes. yet you've taken some time to talk to me. I'm so appreciative. If folks want to connect with you online, do you have a website that they can check out? My website is in bad need of repair. The best thing to do <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is look, my Denver Seminary email address will be valid for another few months. Okay. Um, and then I will soon have a Tacoa Falls College um, email address. So that would be the the best way to to try to reach me. Okay. And in the show notes for the episode, we're going to include links to your books. Um, and so folks can check those out. And uh, it'll be great. It'll be 
great. I did mention to you, we do, my husband and I have a, have an edited book as well on trauma mm. called um, Treating Trauma and Christian Counseling. So it's intended mainly for counselors themselves, but, um, but other people read it just as a, it has all kinds of trauma in it and has um, biblical integration and um, practical tips on, on what to do with someone with serious trauma. So that's another option. And, and that's IVP available can always get hold of Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's also an uh, intervarsity press IVP um, okay. book. Yeah. And you can always contact IVP and they'll be able to contact me. They'll always have my current contact address. That's another route to go. Okay. Great. Well, thank you on behalf of the uh, Gore Network Ministries. Thank you for your time and uh, grateful for this conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you found it helpful and informative. We are always open to your comments and suggestions. You can contact us at info at agoranetworkministries.com. You can also go to our website for resources, information, and upcoming events. Just head over to agoranetworkministries.com. If you would like to support the work of Agora Network Ministries, including this podcast, you can find a link on our site. We appreciate your support. We pray that your week is blessed. Bye for now.